Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 115, Chicken Fried Bacon. Recorded October 6, 2013, <laughs> and brought to you by Element OP Productions. ElementOP.com. Hey, we needed a show title, and that's as good as any. Chicken Fried Bacon, that pretty much sets the tone for the way we do our Linux show that's not about Linux around here. And the evil That's voice right. you heard there in the intro is the man who's bringing us the chicken fried bacon, Mr. Uh, see, I always do you in the other order, Mr. Gooey Kid, Seth Anderson. Hey, Seth. Hello, Mark. And I must say, uh, this is going to be a great week. Okay. It's always a great week. Uh, and, and of Especially course. Especially when it follows up chicken fried bacon. <laughs> to bring balance to the force is... Uh, the uh, the the dark one, the dark lord of the command line, the command line godfather, Mr. Chris Neves. Hey, Chris. How's it going, everyone, tonight? I hope everyone has a good or had a safe weekend. I know I did. And I am the as-of-yet unnamed Mark. Hi, everybody. <laughs> well, it's not that I don't have a name. Wow. I don't have a nickname. Yeah, we just, it has the flow right, and we just haven't found the flow well we'll get it the swagger mark the swagger cockerel there you go swagger (laughs) i don't know we kind of reached there (laughs) okay okay i'm sorry that pretty much killed the show from the sounds of it yeah yeah that's it show's over chris killed it um all right no i was playing around i was wondering what that button does and stay away from the buttons mark don't push them. Uh, there's a major hang, uh, update to the Google Hangouts, which is how we do the video and, and how we see each other each week. And so there are new buttons for me to push, and I'm I'm just oh so tempted. But, <laughs> but I shall refrain. Stop it. So, Seth, tell us about the glory that is chicken fried bacon. Oh, man. Well, you know, I don't remember how long ago. Um, there's a show that comes on in the Texas area called Texas Country Reporter. And it, this guy goes around and does little off-the-wall places and forgotten places in Texas uh, that may or may not have been famous at one point. And I did not catch the episode, but I saw the YouTube clip where he went to Snook, Texas, to, um, ah, golly, what is uh, Sotolux Original Country Inn, and where the guy started serving chicken fried bacon a long time ago. And I saw that, and I was like, I am going to go there someday. And I was not working at a place where I had any money. Um, but now I am and just, I was, I decided yesterday I drove the three and a half hours. I drove three and a half hours each way to go there <laughs> and to eat chicken fried bacon. So you, and you invested you, a full day in this one meal. I did. Yeah. It's actually, that's part of the reason I don't have a lot to say on Salem OS because I spent so much <laughs> of the day yesterday on the road, but it was worth it. I mean, it might have taken a full tank of gas, but oh my gosh, chicken fried bacon. If you are in the uh, central Texas area, go to Snook. If you're in Texas, I would say if you're in the continental United States, you owe it to yourself to at some point, because if you listen to the show, you're a, you're a bacon lover, and if you love bacon, just imagine. 
I have been to the mountain, people, and the mountain <laughs> is bacon. It is deep fried, and there are rivers of gravy running throughout, and it was awesome. I am in probably the best mood I have been at in years. My <laughs> cholesterol is probably higher than it's been in years, but it was worth it. And Chicken God looked and bacon. saw that it was good. Chicken That's fried awesome. bacon, people. I mean, three words that I don't know how we waited so long in our history to put them together. <laughs> well, you know, you but could have just chicken- made that yourself in your own kitchen. It's not a difficult recipe, I would imagine. No, it's not. You, but wouldn't you want to go to the place that started yeah, it? You're right. I mean, yeah. you know, it's I'm, I've been there. Now I can do it myself. But come on, you want to go... You know, I, I've been to I've been to my mecca. It's like That's an right. Elvis fan going to Graceland. Uh, you know, you don't have to go every time, but you're not a true fan if you haven't been at least once. So, you know, I might not have to go back, but I've been there, and so I I will be going back um, at some point. You know, I, I don't know if I don't think it'll be a weekly trip, but I can see me going there a couple of times a year. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, people don't understand who aren't from Texas. Don't understand what a car culture Texas really is. Um, and you know, I live here in Georgia now, and uh, people will be talking about you know Atlanta has the Loop Two Eighty Five that goes around. It's called the Perimeter here, and you you're inside the perimeter or you're outside the perimeter or you're on the perimeter. And so people will be talking about, you know, that's an awful long way to go. It's, I mean, that's all the way outside the perimeter or that's all the way down in, in Southern Atlanta. When what they mean is like, it's 45 miles. Um, and I said, you don't understand. I'm from Texas. We drive four hours for a meal and, you know, and I've, Seth, I've done it. I drove, um, you might've been with me. I don't remember, but I have on more than one occasion, driven three and a half to four hours for a good steak or, or a good meal because we're just we're such a car culture it's in our in our blood so as a fellow texan when i hear you say you spent almost nine hours invested in a lunch yes that's a little extreme but it's not all that unusual right and well you know and one of the things okay granted that was a long way but especially if you're in the rural areas of texas because i have a friend who lives in downtown dallas and loop 12 runs around downtown dallas and they call it the island and they don't ever go outside the island i was like what i can't (laughs) imagine that um but there's somebody who works at the same place i do and they live 30 miles from work and it takes them an hour and a half it takes them longer to go 30 miles than it does me to go 75 so the rule uh Texas, Texiana folks such as myself, it's nothing. You know, I mean, when I was growing up, it, you had to go an hour to do anything. There was, you know, it, it's just, it's not, it's not unusual. Right. Granted, I mean, three and a half each way, little excessive, but yeah, not much. Just a little. And no, that's little. not that bad at all. You know, coming from that environment, I didn't, I didn't know when I moved to Atlanta. I had no idea what traffic was like now I've, I've driven in dallas i i've never commuted on a regular basis to dallas but there have been many times that i drove from you know 75 miles north of dallas into and through dallas uh i would occasionally uh commute uh not on a day trip but well it actually it has been a day trip down to austin which is about a, a four hour drive four and a half um and i've even done san antonio in a weekend trip not a day trip uh that's about eight hours so when i moved up here I, I work in a uh, an area called Vinings, which is north uh, North Atlanta, 
and I live in a city called Woodstock. It's, it's literally 23 miles from, from doorstep to doorstep. From the time I pull out of my driveway to the time I pull into the parking garage at work, it's 23 miles. And I thought, I found the best place in the world to live. It's a nice little area. There's a little cul-de-sac. The schools are great. And it's only 23 miles from work. I had no idea that that 23 miles would mean a 12 to 15 hour investment a week out of my life. Right. Yeah. Really? That's yeah. how long it takes you? Yeah. That's and crazy. On a good day, a good day, it's a 90-minute drive to go 23 miles. Wow. That's average. That's like, you know, n- nothing out of the ordinary. If there's an accident, the longest it's ever taken me is three hours to go 23 miles. That's nuts. I guess I, I don't... I remember going to school in Phoenix and uh, having similar things when I was on the buses and having to deal with, you know, that type of thing, but... Living out here in in the big sky country, where the longest drive you have to go from you know one side of your town to the other is twenty five minutes or so, um, that's just hard to understand. Yeah, it's I did I had no idea, and the of course you can't trust a, a real estate agent, but the the rental agent I was working with when I looked at it, I said you know I came out to look at the house on July fourth weekend, uh, and it took me a long time. I was like. You know, the traffic's not always like that. Oh, no, it's it's because of the, the holiday. It's not normally like It's like that every day. Uh, so I was you know, totally yeah, like... Yeah, she was probably thinking, yeah, she's probably thinking, you know, yeah, it's normally a little bit worse than this, <laughs> <Yeah>. actually. <laughs> a lot of people out of town today. You came off pretty good. Yeah. Uh, but wow. anyway, that's, that's my uh, little story about traffic. Um... <laughs> All right, so moving right along, <laughs> updates. We talked about Google Docs updating the, tonight. Yep. Chris, what do you got going on? Uh, yeah, well, work's been driving me crazy. We we just moved to a new system, and I don't know if you guys have ever dealt with the maps testing. No. Seth, Mark, you know, education, no, I never had to deal with it. It's probably the most painful system I've ever had to deal with for putting for exporting from my student management system and into this map system. I'm oh, guessing that's probably Montana something. Yeah, I'm guessing the M in is, MAP stands for Montana, which is why we've never done it. Uh, measured. Measured okay. annual progress something. You know, yes. it's it's not a Montana thing. It's a big thing. Yeah, Texas has its thing, uh, uh, tax, or now they've called it STAR. Uh, it's the same thing. We So we know exactly what you're going yeah. through, just not this particular app. Yeah, but it, it was – I've never dealt with such a painful procedure. Um, and supposedly my student information system knew about it, but they don't have the updates ready for it, for the how the export works. So it's like, oh, so I get to do this by hand. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's but, yeah. about the way it works. I know. I'm surprised it, they told it, it you about it, but crazy. usually, yeah, usually it's oh yeah, this is supposed to be in by five o'clock today. So um, if right. you could get that done, and here's this information packet they sent us six months ago, yeah. you might need to look at that. So, oh yeah, yeah, that was that's close to what we we had, but we had two weeks, you know, they they actually brought us in early so we could figure it out. Um, but yeah, normally it's it's oh, that report that that was supposed to be due that was due yesterday. You need to get it done. What report? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, there was that training so, yeah. for it. Didn't you right. go, didn't you go to that? It says here that you went. Your manager signed off on it that you were there. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 about what I live with every day. 
It's yeah. fun, isn't it, it? It's not unique to education, my friend. Let me assure you no, of that. No, it's not. It just drives me absolutely crazy. Yeah. You know, you would think that in an educational environment, the communication would be a little better. Um, <laughs> no, it's not. Oh. You'd like to think that, wouldn't you? <laughs> uh, you would. You would. I've had people actually question me on that, going, oh, you're just making it up. But I'm like, uh, no. No, I'm yeah. not. This is... I think I had better communication when I worked at the hospital, and the hospitals don't communicate at all. I have a friend nope. who's right now working on integrating iPads, and uh, so in the middle of his integration, he ended up upgrading to iOS 7, and uh, that was just a, a nightmare on top of a nightmare. Uh, it's not a fan of <laughs> iOS 7. <laughs> so I had a cool experience today. I've never actually done this before. I had a tailgating uh, event today. Um, yeah. It wasn't a real tailgating in that we didn't go to the to the stadium or whatever. But our church had a tailgating event, not for any you know any particular game or anything like that. It was just it's just a good excuse to eat. And you know, as I had mentioned previously, <laughs> we're Baptists, and Baptists like to eat. Um, and so uh, we we got together. We had a, t- a tailgate, and so my. Uh, life group class, as it's known, Sunday school, uh, as you may know it. Uh, we all got together. It was about 25, 30 of us uh, when you count the kids. And so we all got together and just kind of brought whatever you got. And so uh, another uh, guy and I both brought our big uh, like turkey fryer pots. Uh, and another, one of the other guys brought his little grill. Uh, and so he made burgers and dogs for the kids on the grill and uh, daryl is his name and i made uh, a low country boil uh in the two big pots so uh we had uh, shrimp and sausage and corn and potatoes and and uh, uh cajun seasoning uh, all stewing away in the pots and we had a little pop-up shade thing and coolers and and baked beans and macaroni and and whatever you want over there and it was a really cool experience um and it's just, you know, I now understand why people do it. I don't understand why people go to a parking lot where the game is being played to do it. Because you could do it anywhere. Some, somebody's going to have to explain right. that to me. Uh, but anyway, it was a fun experience. It was my first ever experience with, with uh, Tailgate. Uh, and it was pretty cool. And then I got home just in time to watch one of the few nationally televised Cowboys games this year. So I could watch it, you know actually on my television in high def as it was intended instead of stealing some uh, i mean appropriating some feed off the internet somewhere and uh <laughs> the i was telling somebody earlier in the week in case you if you're not an nfl fan just tune out for a couple of minutes but this was the dallas cowboys and uh the uh denver broncos and despite being from texas i have not bought into the uh pastime of of insulting Tony Romo with every breath. I actually think he's a fantastic quarterback, and the team is doing really well this year um, overall, even though they're now at, at two and three. They're still the the, the undisputed leaders of their um, conference. Uh, but anyway. Well, yeah, they're tied, actually. I oh, think okay. Philadelphia is two and three now, so... So the yeah, the standings changed today. They were, they were like two games out, <laughs> which is crazy, but anyway... Um, and I was telling a friend of mine we were talking about who he's also a, a Dallas fan. I said, you know, this is going to be this is going to be whoever scores last because two both of these teams have amazingly explosive offenses and mediocre defenses, um, and and you've got two of the best quarterbacks to ever play the game 
frankly. I, I don't want to hear it. Don't send me anti-Romo email. Look at his stats. The dude is one of the best quarterbacks ever to play the game. Um, and Manning, I mean, we don't have to say anything. Peyton Manning is is a legend um, and has been for, you know, like his rookie year. Uh, and so I, I was telling my friend, I said, you know, we could see 100 points in this game. And he laughed at me. He's like, come on, 100 points? And so the score today ended up being 51-48, to 48, a 99-point game. And like I said, it just came down to whoever scores last. Uh, and my beloved Cowboys lost. I was so torn there because I'm, I'm a Manning fanboy. I really am. And I love the Cowboys. So it was like I, I could not win and I could not lose. How, whatever the outcome was, either you know my beloved Peyton wins and my beloved Cowboys lose or vice versa. I, there, was no, there was no good outcome and no bad outcome at the same time. So anyway, uh, enjoyed the game. Just thought I'd put that out there. Uh, fourth, tied for fourth uh, highest scoring game ever in the in the history of football because those guys are just amazing so that's all i have to say about yeah. that that's football weekly <laughs> yeah football i don't weekly, quite <laughs> drink the romo kool-aid but he's a lot better than everybody gives him credit for i i tell people if he's the worst part of your football team you've got a dang good team so exactly yes there you go and and you know uh People are going to talk about he he threw a, a uh, an interception to, to court to, as people will say that gave up the game, uh, um, but and the, I could already my Facebook feed was already full of well, Romo chokes again he he can't come through in a clutch uh, and if you watch that play he's coming forward he's about to throw the ball his lineman uh, his left tackle steps on his foot and blocks his knee he can't step forward and throw the ball so it's a little waffly he throws it to a fully open receiver but because the ball didn't have the juice on it that it should have because he couldn't rotate through the outstanding uh defensive players on the denver team closed on the ball and got there before it got to the receiver technically that's romo's fault but that's not romo's fault that's uh, a, a weird happenstance and a really good defense and it happened in the last two minutes of the game, and it could have happened to anybody. And they're going to say, you know, there he goes, throw a crucial interception. Let's not forget, he's only thrown two inter- interceptions this season. Most yeah, quarterbacks I mean, throw threw, two in a game. He threw the exact same amount of interceptions that Peyton Manning did. So when you match Peyton Manning and actually are a little bit better than him, I don't really – you can't blame him for it. So – I mean, you can, obviously, because people are and will. But, I mean, you know, if you're deep, I mean, the other team scored 51 points. Don't talk to me about how a quarterback <laughs> exactly. choked. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. When you score 48 points and lose, that's not on the quarterback. Anyway. Yeah. So that, I know this isn't a football podcast, but I just had to get that out there because my, my Texas friend, particularly, you know, on the social media feeds, I see them all, uh, downing this guy. And, you know, and I'm as much a, a put the blame where the blame belongs as anyone else, but this dude is an amazing player and you need to give him the credit. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I, I anytime I see the Don, the Denver Broncos lose is a good day for me. So I wish that <laughs> I wish your Cowboys would have stood up and took care of them. But uh, I guess, yeah, I'll definitely say this though. I, I know I'm going to get flack for it, but I've been a Raiders fan forever and ever. So anytime I hear, I am a diehard Raider fan. Even though you don't see it, I have 
Raider stuff all over on the other side of the camera. Um, yeah, anytime I see those damn donkeys lose, I'm all right with it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So how does how do you get from being a Raiders fan to hating the Broncos? How do the, how are those two things related? It's kind of um, like the Cowboys and the I've, Giants. Yeah, I that, guess. <laughs> it's hard to say, but I I will say this that in Montana, a lot of the people up here are either Cowboys fans or Bronco fans. That's about it. There's a few other stragglers here and there, but there are very few Raider fans. So, uh, yeah, I, I've been a Raiders fan since I was six, so I don't think I'm going to change anytime soon. There you go. I, uh, I, didn't, I didn't know about that. Apparently, I just found out Colorado people hate Texans, just in general. Everybody from Colorado hates everybody from Texas. And, well, they uh, used to be and part of our think, state, so... And they think it's mutual, but Texans are like, we don't think about Colorado very often. Maybe that's why they hate us, because we don't return the, the hatred. It's a, it's Could a, be. It's a one-sided hate, let me tell you. We don't care. <laughs> uh, all right, and the last thing you have in the notes there, Chris, is trading for services. Are you are you looking to barter with somebody for something? Oh, well, no, I didn't... Well, th- I have already bartered. I was not expecting the barter, but uh, like I said, you know, a little, a couple shows ago, that I got some fresh ink on my leg, and I was talking with the tattoo artist, you know, because I, I got more planned, and he call, he comes, he calls me on the phone and goes, "Chris, can you come down and see me?" I'm like, I'm thinking, oh great, he ran into a problem with my my next design, and he uh, he, I go in there and I sit down in the shop, and he goes, "I have a problem, and it's called." pop-ups and i don't know what to do about them and can you fix this whatever the price is we'll just take it off the price for the tattoo nice so i'm thinking i'm thinking turns right, out it that's, costs that's exactly cool. the same as this tattoo well <laughs> no it turns out it'll probably be more than the price of the tattoo but uh yeah because he's he took it to some other quack and and now uh it's even worse than it was before he sent it off to the other guy um. So yeah, but it'll be interesting to see uh, h- how well he takes the idea of this big of a trade because it's uh it'll be fun. But yeah, yeah just other shows that uh, you never know. You ne- you never know when you can trade for services, and when you can, yeah. it's always a win. Well, knowing Seth, he's a huge barter fan, and he uh sort of let some of his love of bartering rub off. I'm not quite as nut- nutty about it as he is. Uh, but I have, you know, in a few times in the past, looked for opportunities to swap service for service, or even item for item, if you can. Yeah. Right. Well, I was going to say it's amazing how much other technicians are good for my business. <laughs> so. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, you let somebody else look at it? I was like, oh my gosh, let me guess, it was on this date, right? How did you know? Well, because I see where. All of these things were done then, and now you've got worse problems than you had before. Yeah. Or someone who does a clean, who does a, there was nothing wrong with his install, but yet reinstalls it anyway with the upgrade policy thing, so that way it creates the old folder, the windows.old. Right. So it's like, what was the whole point of doing that? Because all the problems are still there. Anyway. So let us know how that works out. Um, oh, I will. I, I should know probably next Sunday. So if uh, if I'm late, 
or I look like I just got you know beat up by a semi truck, it's probably because I'm still nursing the fresh ink on my calf. <laughs> Well, I need that reminds us right the now. Fir- go ahead, Seth. No, go ahead. No, I was going to say that that's the first of many reminders that next week we will be recording on Saturday. So yes, that was just a perfect opportunity to throw that in. Yes, for the uh, two or three people who like to watch us and listen to us live, next week we'll rec- be recording at the same time, uh, 8 p.m. Eastern time on Saturday, because I have, uh, um, well, uh, it's, a, it's a football party. On, on Sunday, my next door neighbor. It's uh, again. It's another Sunday night football game with the Cowboys. My neighbor's a Cowboys fan, so he uh, he put this on the books like three months ago and said, "Hey, we're we're doing this," and uh, and I said, "Okay, awesome." <laughs> um, so anyway, enough about that. Let's get into some listener feedback, and this is going to take a while because we have tons of listener feedback. No, we have one listener feedback but that's okay it's there but it'll still take a while guys don't worry (laughs) (laughs) guillaume writes in to say a word of thanks he says hello everyday linux triumvirate great word i really enjoy each of your shows as usual i wanted to thank chris for explaining what he does to have a working fedora install i will try the full dvd next time i install excuse me instead of a live cd also, I was wondering if he had ever used Easy Life or Fedora Utils. They are both programs that permit uh, to install codecs, fonts, repos, disable SE Linux, etc., just by clicking a bunch of checkboxes. They're both great tools to make Fedora usable without hassle. I also think that Seth made a great choice for his new distro. Razer QT is probably a desktop environment unconventional enough for him. That made me think that if this distro doesn't cut it after a month, he should maybe try Bodhi. Every time I try to uh, try it myself, and I'm not sure what this is supposed to mean, E17, E17. stunned me That's pretty much as heavily as when I hear what Seth's link are about every week. Regards, Guillaume. So that's uh, there's a little translation issue going on there, partly because I think his natural language is French, and secondly because I don't know what E17 is. No, I think that's, that's enlightenment. The enlightenment. That's like desktop. a uh, yep. It's okay. kind of the Mac looking desktop thingy. I've I've actually Bodhi has been on my radar to take a look at uh, at some point in the possible future, so I might. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. Um, I will definitely say that, yeah, Easy Life, I used, that was a great tool before it got dropped. Um, and I, I haven't used Fedora Utils, but I have used Easy Life, and it was a great little utility, and it saved a little bit of copying and pasting. But just so you know, even if you, you know, don't want, even if you want to use those tools, you can still get the same thing to get it done with just a few copy and pastings, especially if you uh, string a bunch of commands together. But yeah, those are. I wish the guy who created Easy Life. I don't remember if he's still with us or not, but I know he was sick there for a long time, which is why it's no longer supported. Um, but I, I wish someone would take up the torch and and follow his source code and, and re re release Easy Life because it was a great tool. All right, so Guillaume's information is a little bit dated. I, yeah, I love that, that line. Good- Go ahead, Seth. 
I was going to say that brings up a good point just in Linux in general. A lot of times when you Google something or you're looking for pro for issues, you find a solution that was valid for pick Ubuntu or whatever you find. a. But the problem is it was for an Ubuntu that was a few versions ago that is not readily it's not readily apparent from looking at the post. You have to dig around somewhere on the page to find it. So that's just something to be aware of uh, when you're talking about Linux distros in general. Yeah, Google search tools are invaluable when trying to find resources like that. You have to go in and you have to search for things in the last six months or something like that. You yeah. can't uh, You can't just trust the... Because the basic Google thing is it tries to be most relevant but then it's it's the most linked to so it assumes that the things that most people are talking about are the most relevant and a lot of the time that's right but when i'm looking for troubleshooting i almost always dial that back to like in the last six months or even the last three months uh because exactly what you just said seth right yeah, i don't know how many times i ran across that as well um i was working on an issue in fog not too long ago um where the database wasn't was dropping and yeah, I found a fix for Fog point seventeen, but not Fog two point three or whatever the version I'm on right now. Mm. So it was, it was kind of like, oh, well, that was great to know that back story, but <laughs> right. it doesn't quite fix what I have the problem with now. All right, so we're gonna move on to the tech news this week. Did your daddy ever tell you? That the, the best thing you can do to a bully is punch him in the nose. I tell my kids that. Yep. Honestly, I do. My daughters, uh, they're daughters, but I tell them, if you ever have a bully, and I define bully as somebody who wants to hurt you, not somebody who's just making you mad. If you ever have a bully dealing with you, you punch them square in the nose. And I, I've told you, you're not allowed to hit people. That hitting isn't the right thing to do. But I'm telling you, in this case, if you have a bully, punch them square in the nose. You may get in trouble at school, but you will not get in trouble at home. If you come home and tell me that the bully was trying to hurt me and I punched him in the nose. In fact, there have been a couple of times when one of them has come home and, and said, you know, this bully was messing with me. And I say, what'd you do about it? And they'll, then they'll say something like I told the teacher. And I say, don't come back and talk to me about this again until you've punched them in the nose. That's the only thing a bully understands. Hard, yep. hard lesson for a hard times. Well, it turns out that works for patent trolls, too. And uh, the uh, there's a there's a bully who was trying to bully people into paying for his patent, and when somebody punched him in the nose, he went away. Yeah, the Lodsys they're they're a company that fits the nomenclature of patent troll in that they own patents and they monetize them. And what happens is like Google and Apple have licensed these patents because there's some validity, there's enough validity that they have licensed them, but they're not going after Google and Apple. They're going after in developers who use these APIs, um, in like in-app purchases and stuff. And it turns out that, um, AVG, or I'm sorry, not AVG, uh, Kapersky Labs stood up to them and was going to take them to court. And rather than go to court and have their patents disputed or proven inaccurate or invalid or whatever, they just dropped it. So they threatened to sue until somebody said, okay, sue us. We're going to take you to court because we've got the money to fight. And they say, um, okay, you don't have to give us anything. We're dropping our claim against you. Um, right. So it's good that um, they stood up to them. I, I kind of wish it would have went to trial just so 
everybody could point and say, uh, hello, no thank you. But anyway, so that's what happened. Somebody stood up to him. Yay. It's still a broken system, Here's the danger of that, right? If you're loadsis and um, somebody takes you to trial and you know your position is weak and a judge rules that your patent is invalid, not only can you no no longer bully people with it, but you got to pay back all the money that anybody's paid you with it and probably pay a penalty uh, for, you know, uh, court costs and things like that. So they, uh, they don't want to take their weak claim into court. They just want to, to, to rattle the stick of a court case and hope that people will bend over. And good on you, Kaspersky, for not doing that. You did us all a solid. Amen. It's, yeah. I just wish it would have went to trial, like we've already said, because it would have been nice to see some of these patent trolls get knocked down a few knocks, because it, it would be, I think it would help everyone's position, except for the patent trolls. Yeah, eventually uncommon sense is going to break out. I'm holding out hope. The um, <laughs> the mathematical statistical certainty of it draws nearer every week. Eventually people have to just stumble over the right thing to do. Yeah, Speaking I mean, they won't things. even be trying to. It'll just happen. Right. Speaking of the right thing to do, Gartner says the right thing to do if you're using BlackBerry is to just give it up. Let that ship go down. Save yourself while you can. Yeah, they um, and they're a very respected um, analyst firm in the technology sector, and they have uh, they have stated that clients should take no more than six months to consider and implement alternatives to BlackBerry. So BlackBerry, it wasn't that long ago they were the undisputed king of enterprise mobility and now they're just they're they're just dying a painfully awful death um you know and a lot of it you know here's the thing from what i've seen of like their last one the z10 or whatever it actually had some neat features but it was just kind of a little too little too late they've lost the enterprise they've lost the developers there aren't compelling apps for it there's just nothing there's nothing to, I mean, whenever your good news is, Hey, we didn't lose 900 million last quarter. We only lost 750 million. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. and you know, <laughs> if that's the best news you can come up with, you know, you ought to just, you ought to just close up shop while you still got a little bit of money left in the coffers and just, um, partial it out in bonuses or whatever. So, um, you know, put everybody out of their misery. So just, just to give so you now- some, some perspective there. They started the quarter with $3 billion in cash on hand and no debt. That's a pretty good position to be in. You might be wondering why people are, are going away. Well, they reported a billion-dollar tax loss and spent another hundred, excuse me, $500 million um, on covering just shortfalls. So of their you know, roughly 3 to $5 billion that they had total in cash and assets, they spent a billion and a half of it. So sure, they still only they still have two point six billion in hand, but how long can you hang on to it when you're going through a billion every quarter? Yeah, okay. That's, uh, now the, the the question I bring up though is, what if say, you know, let's just go with Google because Google seems to be buying up everybody that they can possibly get their hands into lately. What if Google buys BlackBerry and puts their well, Google y- juice into BlackBerry? I've got to say, Chris, what number are they going to pay? They've already used Pi 
Um, so <laughs> they've got to come up with some number billion. And, you know, I, I don't know what number is left that will appropriately value BlackBerry. Um, so that's the first question you've got to answer right there. I, well, but yeah, that, that is a good one. But with the question though is still, would it be wise for someone to buy a BlackBerry at this point? Because they, I mean, the name holds a lot of, a lot of people and, you know, still have starry eyes for BlackBerry. Could somebody buy BlackBerry, dump, you know, time and R and D into it, and bring them back to for the you know first runners in off seat Android and and iPhone? It's possible. I think I, I know a lot of people that you know we they were saying that you're going to tear my BlackBerry from my cold dead fingers. So you know, is it possible? Could it happen? Just well, some devil. I know they there. were. I think it could. I think it'd be interesting to see what it, if it would. I know they were looking for entertaining offers to take it private. Um, I hadn't heard if they ever found one, but th- the money that was being offered was like a pittance compared to what they were currently worth. So I just, I mean, you know, you've got Windows. You can talk about market share or whatever, but they seem to have finally gotten their act together and have a compelling um, mobile architecture now. And then you've got Android and you've got, Apple, uh, or yeah, and then you know other things are starting to come. Is there just room for BlackBerry? I mean, maybe maybe there will just right. be a BlackBerry app for Android um, that allows you to like communicate with the BlackBerry server or or whatever. So I, I don't know. That's so the two question, things that BlackBerry had going for it, really three, three things BlackBerry had going for it was outstanding hardware back in the day, particularly the yep. keyboard. They just had an amazing keyboard. Um, and their products were really good. They gave that up about six years ago. Their hardware took a nosedive and never came back. Um, the other thing they had going for them was security. Secure encryption end-to-end that nobody could break, not even BlackBerry. They gave that up when the government of India um, gave uh, uh, said that we'll push everybody out of India if you don't give us the key. So they literally changed their technology to make it possible for the government to spy on them. And then the third one that they had um, was BlackBerry Messenger. People loved BlackBerry. I loved BlackBerry Messenger. It was messenger. It was phone-to-phone messaging that didn't go through a server um, and was it was really um, a high-quality thing to do. You could communicate privately uh, between independent uh, individuals and groups. Well, now there are a dozen other apps on Android and iOS that do that. So what do they have left to stand on anymore other than we once were great? Yeah, and yeah. Nightstar in the chat room mentions that Fairfax Financial well, you'd have to, bought you'd them have about to a bring, month ago. You'd have to bring back the... <laughs> oh, Sorry, so we're, someone did buy them out. Yeah, we're stepping on each other, the, the beauties of Skype delays. Yeah, Fairfax Financial bought uh, BlackBerry uh, in November. For four point seven billion dollars, I don't rem- I don't remember the details. I don't think they bought the whole company, but but a, a part of it. I could be wrong. Hmm. Yeah, I don't remember. I vaguely recall some of the story, but all right. Anyway, um, just it. It's like um, Migo in that it won't go away. Um, yeah, it just it, somebody double tap it and let it go. 
No, I think it's not like Mego. I think it's like um, Novell OS or <laughs> what is that? Not um, Netware. Um, Netware was the undisputed king of networking technology, and they caught frontrunners' disease. And now I think a couple of places still have some Netware servers in the back closet at the plant. They closed down two years ago, but forgot to turn off. So, um, you know, I that's saw probably one just where, the other day. I can't, I'm not at liberty to say where, but I saw where a Netware 2.1 running on a 286 <laughs> processor with a monochrome green screen monitor. I saw it live in action, actually in, in the works. Wow! Not even, I wow. mean, three, not even three one, but two no, one, two. dude. Wow! Pre menu, yeah. is it running some mission critical service that if this server goes down, the world is going to end? Um, it was an important piece of the business's uh, enterprise. Oh, yes, I, <laughs> but it, how, I how was, much money I did they taken? I was taken aback by it. I was just like. You know, this is amazing. This is a, this is a living dinosaur. This is like walking through the Sierra Nevadas and stumbling on a brontosaurus, just drinking out of a of a lake there on the mountains. You don't you don't see these things except in museums and and you know no the, the the boneyards. This thing was alive and kicking and pulsing and breathing, and I, and I I had to touch it and I had to have a moment with it. I bonded with it just a moment to feel the 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 hard drive spin and feel the vibration. It was it was an amazing almost spiritual moment because uh, it took me back to I mean 1996, 95 even when that was the the pinnacle of of human achievement. That was the ultimate networking experience. And how much yeah, money did nuts. they pay you it's not crazy. to mention their name? Uh, <laughs> don't tell anyone we still run netware <laughs> and the the administrator i was with penny. was like don't make fun of that machine i was like make fun of it no i'm in awe of it i'm not gonna make fun of it this is this is like this is amazing it's like that scene in in um ratatouille where the guy takes the bite and suddenly he's a child again in his mother's kitchen as soon as i saw it it was i was taken back to a happier time in my life Wow, that's uh, that's amazing. You know, that's uh, like where's Waldo? We could have a where's Netware game go online. Well, maybe oh, soon we we're... get a lot of people doing that one. Maybe soon we're gonna have to play where's Bill Gates, because uh, he is being uh, somewhat unceremoniously shown the door at Microsoft. Well, yeah, he's not quite being shown the door, but there are rumblings by three of the top 20 investors at Microsoft, they're trying to lobby the board to press, because Bill Gates, you know, he's not actively CEO of Microsoft, but he's still chairman of the board, you know, and he still owns um, like four and a half percent of stock and he's the largest individual shareholder. So he is still very much a Microsoft guy, but there's people in the board and shareholders who are trying to get him to step down or get the board to ask him to step down because their belief is that his the legacy of Bill Gates while he's still there is kind of preventing new technology and new direction and new vision to come into the company. So um you know again it's only three um and so he's probably not going anywhere but you know it's you can't you know my Bill Gates started Microsoft. He's he's a very respected person in the technology industry, and so 
some people are you know it's not just kind of whispering anymore but people are and they're asking to remain nameless so they're not coming out and saying it so much but they're trying to get him to leave according to this uh guardian article uh gates set up something uh, a while back to sell 80 million dollars worth of uh shares a year um and at current market rates by 2018 he would have no more microsoft shares so you know even if he doesn't choose to leave voluntarily uh he will have no no shares in the company and therefore no financial standing in just a few years uh, but it's still that chairman of the board issue um, yeah but he just, still makes decisions yeah but look at how fast um blackberry died so you know you talk about that in in just a few years microsoft could be in and also ran is like you remember microsoft and some kid will go what i never heard of that so you know just because they were a few years ago the largest and most dominant technology company around i mean they've got tons of cash so it's not like they're gonna die tomorrow but you know they're still a huge company but they are they are not the dominant force uh in technology but they are still a potent one I don't think that the issue is Microsoft is going to go the way of, of BlackBerry. I think they're going to go the way of AT&T, or excuse me, IBM. IBM is still a multi-billion dollar company, but they're not sexy anymore, and nobody buys an IBM computer, and, and the, you kind of remember their hollow days of the of the horn rim glasses and the black tie and the white shirt, uh, but they're not a major player anymore. They're still a big deal uh, in a very small market, and that's I think that's the danger uh, of Microsoft, that they're just going to become a server OS company, um, and that's, yeah. that's, that's what they're going to do. Now, to say just a server OS company could still mean they're worth you know, $200 billion. They could still be huge, but they're not going to be um, on every platform that's sold everywhere across the world like they were uh, a few years ago. Right. <laughs> Jim Beeson in the chat room says, IBM has figured out how to make money without doing anything. Um, you know, and yeah, that's, pretty much. that's a pretty good gig. I would get that. Uh, you know, if you would just, you know, send me money to not do anything, I would take it. Yeah, I, I would. Why not? That's pretty good gig if you can get it. So one of the things we talk about here often is the fact that there are so many Linux distros, and we refer to it as as freedom of choice, and sometimes we talk about it as fragmentation. But a Phosphorus poll uh, recently uh, said that the users that they polled said there are simply too many Linux distros. Hmm. Yeah, and the the thing about this, this isn't some uh, you know, Newsweek poll or uh, you know, some mainstream technology news site. This is Phosphorus. Uh, so this is, you know, a Linux community poll that is saying this. So and there wasn't a ton of percentage just to let you know that 100 people which represented 29% of the respondents. So, I mean, that tells you that you're looking at what, 330, 340 maybe, um, respondents. Yeah, not a huge top. Yeah. So, um, they said that there's the right number of Linux distros, but, um, there was a, there was between one and five where like one is not enough and five is too many. Um, if you took the two that were, on the too many side, it accounted for 56% of the people and only 19% thought that there were too few. So again, you know, 
it's one of those things. It's the strength of Linux is also contributing to the weakness of Linux because you have all these developers on all these different distros. If, if we drop some of the distros and focused, how much more polished would the remaining distros be? And how much easier would it be for, you know, guerrilla marketing or whatever you want to term for it? If there's less, you know, because now you can't get somebody to switch to Linux. You've got to get them to switch to Ubuntu or Fedora or Red Hat or something else. Um, if there were a few less, then maybe they would be, um, better able to make a noticeable presence. And it's even worse than that. It's, they can't just choose Ubuntu. They got to choose Ubuntu or Kubuntu or Ubuntu or Mint um, or or Edge Ubuntu. Uh, so yeah, I see the point that there are too many. But the the way I see it, you know, and they say it in an article as well. Uh, I'll, I'll quote a little bit from the article. Frankly, we don't get it. So what if there's a ton of so-called cookie cutter distros? Nobody's forced to use them. That's my thinking exactly. Um, let yeah. you know a thousand seeds fall and whatever springs up awesome and what doesn't doesn't well that's true but you know the ground can only support so many seeds and if you throw too many out then you've made it impossible for any of them to gain traction would be a counterpoint to that thought yeah, you're stretching the analogy pretty thin there but i'll concede the point yeah that, uh, yeah uh, I think, I think there's there's nothing you can do about it. I mean, okay, let's say we all agree across the board, 100. percent There's too many distros, and <laughs> that's the beauty of an open system is is it doesn't matter. Are, are you gonna are you gonna make some sort of rule that says there can't be any more Linux distros? Okay, it'll be called Billyx instead. It'll be exactly the same thing under a new name because it's open and you can't close it. That you can't put yeah. the genie back in the bottle. You can't unring the bell. No, to, I totally understand. And you, what you are saying is totally true. And it is an awesome strength. And I'm glad I'm at least somewhat involved in the community. But again, you know, just because there's so many, it's, um, what was the West Wing? Did y'all ever watch West Wing? Never saw an episode. Yeah. Uh, well, there was this, I didn't watch them all, but there was this one, the, the, the premise of this, of this one particular episode was the White House is open to the American public. And so what they do is senior advisors go around to all these different groups and committees to talk to. And this one guy's in this hall and he's sitting up on stage reading a newspaper while like 500 people in the hall are all screaming and shouting and yelling at the same time. And the organizer of the event was like, do something. He's like, why? You get them organized and then I'll listen to them, but I'm not going to do anything with that roaring mob. They're your people. You take care of them. And so it's like, you know, all of us are talking about how awesome our one particular distro is and we come off as an angry mob. Um, but anyway, the analogy works better in my head. Uh, I'm just not explaining <laughs> it well because it was one episode I saw years ago. Uh all right, I, we're just gonna we're gonna leave that alone, and you guys are gonna have yep. to educate me. Something I've never heard of reached a milestone that's frankly not that much of a milestone. GNU heard reached version zero point five. Yes, um, well, GNU heard was the um, is the um, open source kernel for the GNU operating system. Which I think has the uh, uh, wins the competition for worst logo 
ever. Oh yeah. De- oh yeah. I would not disagree with that. <laughs> even even the colors are bad. But you know, it's like it, it's just it's it was part of Stallman's vision for um, GNU. Uh, to be just GNU and this was the kernel and it didn't seem to ever take off and it I mean obviously 0.5 so it's not you know it's alpha or beta it hasn't even made release yet and they've been working at it for 30 years but anyway so yeah it's it's halfway to a stable release um anyway so this, I, I just wanted this to is the this is the Linux free GNU operating system Right. This this is, you know, because Linux isn't an OS, as we've talked about. It is the kernel right. for the OS. So this is GNU's kernel uh, to be just GNU um, or new or GNU or whatever. GNU's not Unix, if you want to get technical. But yeah, so it has been in development for almost two decades, but was the original design template borrowed by Apple to create Mac OS X. So there you go. Hmm. Yeah, and they have to make sure to point out there that Apple stole from from something that was open. I don't understand why that line was even there. Well, because, you know, that way it makes them seem less pedantic, maybe. Um, and that word totally didn't fit. I just wanted to throw it out there. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah. We Go all ahead. saw this coming. The numbers have been pointing that way. The The user um, anecdotes have been running that way. Android now surpasses Apple on the tablet. Go figure. Yeah. um, The first half of 2013, and of course, you know, this is kind of in the, I almost put this in the Mark Loves Numbers category, um, but uh, ABI Research says that its data from the first half of 2013 shows that leadership of the mobile tablet market has now shifted from Apple to Android. Data from the second quarter shows the number of Android-powered tablets sold surpassing iPads for the first time and the share of tablet-related hardware revenues achieving parity. So, again, um, you know, Apple makes more per unit, but it seems that for the first time more Android units were sold. And so, again, Apple would still be the largest single chunk because there isn't just one Android. You know, you have Nexus, um, Transformer, Galaxy Tab, and then like a billion and five different no-name options from India and China that all run Android. But for the first time, you know, this happened on the phones um, just a couple of years ago, but now tablets, Apple is not... Um, the iOS, I should say, is not number one. Apple would still be number one hardware vendor, but iOS is not the number one in tablets anymore. And lest Android get a big head, another survey shows that iOS, the iPhone and the iPod, uh, iPad, still top the platform for enterprise apps. Yes. Um, and, of course, you know, this is one of those where there can obviously be, you can obviously say more than one, but the iPhone and the iPad, each 80% of the people who responded state that their company is very interested in building apps for the iPhone and the iPad. Android phone was 71%, so it's really close. Uh, Android tablet 59 is a lot less. And, you know, Windows tablet, Windows phone are down there at about 25% each and but the Blackberry. BlackBerry tablet's still on the list, hanging in there at a, a plucky 6%. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, and again, it's not, you say, well, all those numbers add up to more than a hundred. Well, of course, because if you're in business today, you're not just going to have iPhone or iPad or just iOS or just Android. You're going to do multiple. Um, so, you know, of course the HTML5 people, they might have it best because theoretically those could run on any of them. Um, but yeah, so iPhone and iPad are still the one most people are interested in building apps for. Um, because, you know, like I say, for tablets, there's still more iOS tablets in the wild. Uh, just because the Android shipments have surpassed, there's still that legacy base of Apple. And then, uh, you know, the iPhone is, you know, a good thing about designing for that is there's one OS to support versus Android. You have the fragmented market from 1.6 up to whatever the latest one is 4.3 or 4.4 i think and let me tell you i feel the frustration of that because i've got an old phone it's about 18 months old um and it's running the ancient ice cream sandwich version of android which is about uh a year old i mean this phone didn't come with ics i rommed it to get it on there uh, but right. it's it's like five versions out now. Uh, it's ridiculous how how quickly you get outdated. And and I look to to do apps or do like for example all the new uh, Google Now goodness. I can't get that on my phone because it doesn't run on the ancient decrepit year old OS that I'm running. Go figure. Yeah, I'm fortunate that my tablet. There was just an update, and I think I'm pretty current with it. Of course, I don't really do anything on my tablet but browse the web and play Sudoku, so I don't have a lot of apps on there, but they seem to be, I seem to be able to get the most current stuff. My tablet runs Honeycomb, the sort of bastard nobody's child OS that they, <laughs> they come out with and then quickly change their mind. Yeah. All right. I moving. Don't know what my Transformer Prime is running. I'll have to look when I get out of here. That's probably Honeycomb as well. I think. Maybe not. Anyway, uh, mine's the previous Transformer, just the Transformer. Um, right. All right, moving right along. Speaking of IBM, um, Linux is still big on IBM. That's how they're finding a way to make money. They're they're selling the hardware that Linux people are using for their software. Yeah, and... Um yeah, Linux um, on System Z, which is like one of IBM's big, uh, big iron type systems, it is growing in acceptance, and it's currently—I um, don't even know what these number, these um, alphabet soup—but it's currently up to like forty-eight percent of them, and more than seventy-five percent of the top one hundred Z system accounts run Linux. So it's one of those. You know, Linux is probably right up there, at least half the market, but most of the big guys um, are using Linux as their basis. So this would be like, you know, again, this is backroom stuff. You're not logging in to a Linux machine, but, you know, you're logging into services hosted on Linux and you're logging into machines running uh, that are being held together in the background for underlying virtual stuff by Linux. Uh, yeah. So, again, there's not tons of end-user stuff. But Linux is really big in the back iron. You know, I, I was talking to a friend of mine uh, a few years ago who owns a, uh, a computer sales company. And he knew that I was big in, in, in the education movement to move away from Microsoft and away from Apple and into open source products. And um, he was tr trying to pick my brain. Basically, how can I make money off of you? If I can't sell you Windows at, a, at an upgrade fee, 
how can I make money? And I, I told him, man, every machine running, everybody running Linux in the world is running it on somebody's hardware. There's where your money is. You, you, now, admittedly, most Linux users, users are tightwads, uh, and because Linux it tends to be more efficient than some of the other OSs, they can get away with older hardware. But the fact remains, everybody running Linux is running it on somebody's hardware. That's how you make money. You become the preferred hardware supplier for people who want to run Linux. Um, Dell made a half-hearted attempt at it a few years ago, and when it didn't immediately blow their doors down, they pretty much gave up on it. But somebody needs to step up. System76 is trying, and there are a few others like that, but they're small time. Some big player needs to step up and say, we are the people who will provide you hardware to run your open source stuff on. And IBM gets it. They're, they're working in the middleware, where, middleware world. They're working uh, in business-to-business sort of stuff, but they get it. Yeah, and now we just need yeah. someone else to get it and do it for everyone else. I would love there to be a um, sort of default configuration. I'm sure developers would love that too. If somebody steps up and, and has like the reference platform, like you know Google comes out with their, their Nexus phones, they're the reference platforms for the Android OS. If somebody like Dell... Um, would come up and say, you know, some somebody. It's got to be somebody big. You know, I don't think System Seventy Six could do it. They're just not big enough. But maybe they could. But if somebody would come up and say, this is the reference platform. This is it. When you develop open source stuff, develop to toward this. Um, that would change everything, and everybody would benefit. All you know, as the tide rises, all boats would rise. I'm, I'm, this is the cliche show. I'm looking for every cliche I can come up <laughs> with uh, tonight. But that would be a very good thing. But it's going to take somebody with a budget and with a pair of balls to make that happen. And both of them better be big. Yes. <laughs> you know, Shuttleworth could get into hardware. He's trying to do that on phones. Maybe he should look more into the desktop. Of course, Shuttleworth believes that uh, that desktops are dead. Uh, and a lot of people believe that. I, I don't see it yet. Uh, you know, Not okay. Yet. Maybe not. Maybe I could even go and say desktops are dead. Laptops are not dead. Real hardware isn't dead. Yeah. And the problem is for so long, desktops were king. When you talked about the computing field, you were talking about desktops. And then desktops got supplanted by laptops and tablets and smartphones. And so now they're pounding. That's the problem. Uh, you know, there will always be. The need, and again, maybe desktop will eventually mold into home server, but I think there's always going to be a need for a big unit that maybe isn't a huge server, but I could see the point where if every home had, and again, if that's a, if it ends up being an entertainment console with the, or whatever, but there's got to be some type of hardware somewhere that you're looking through, um, either that or the infrastructure, a broadband infrastructure in the country would have to get much, much better. True. Uh, and moving on to another notch in the belt, though somewhat unconsequential as far as the rest of the world goes, the French police have decided they don't want to use Windows anymore and have picked Ubuntu Linux as their choice. Yes, they are running um, a customized version of Ubuntu and the Grindemir, which along with is part of, is kind of like their state police um, 
maybe sort of like the U.S. doesn't have anything because every state has their own like police force. But um, but they went they realized that um, windows would cost them two million euros more than Ubuntu each year. Two million euros is a lot of money. You know, a million here and a million there. You're talking about real cash. And so what they're doing is they're, instead of like upgrading to Windows 7 or 8 or anything else, they're switching over to Ubuntu. Um, and they plan to have everything done by the summer of 14. Uh, the summer of 2014, they plan to have every one of their 7,200 PCs are expected to be switched over to Ubuntu. Um, so yeah, you know, that's obviously a pretty large thing, you know, the state police for an entire nation and not some, well, I, I don't know. Some people would probably argue that France is third world today, but um, they're not a third world country. <laughs> they're one of the larger countries uh, in the world. Um, and, you know, here you go. They're switching to, and again, you know, Microsoft might be playing the education market for free, but they're still charging governments out the wazoo. And uh, France said, no, we'll uh, we'll go with uh, Ubuntu. Thank you very much. So, you know, it's one of those, and really Microsoft kind of, because whenever, after XP, either Vista or 7 or 8, whichever one you switch to, you know, you can talk about how, well, you have to learn a new system for going to Ubuntu and that costs money. Well, true, but you have to learn a new system when upgrading to the next version of Windows and that's going to cost money too. So instead of paying for licensing and training, this way they're just paying for training. So it, it's a big savings for them. And then, you know, going forward, um, you know, they'll just be, you know, you don't have to have the latest, greatest hardware um, and you just you're kind of you're saving money and you're leading the way and you're making the world better for everybody way to go france wow that's uh, when was the last time an american said that about france yeah i don't know i the revolutionary war i'd say <laughs> yeah been a long time uh, but you know they're back so you know one thing we have to give credit where credit is due adobe used to be the preferred um, um, attack vector on any computer. Adobe uh, Flash, Adobe Acrobat. You know, they've really done a good job of hardening those. So hackers have decided to attack Adobe servers directly. Yes, no. and apparently it was a sustained network attack. This is a story from Ars Technica. Uh, a month-long thing where hackers were able to get in and get the source code um the source code for Code Fusion, um, Adobe Acrobat, as well as WAD's old customer data. And, uh, you know, Adobe's kind of came clean about it. And the fear is now that um, the, you know, criminal element has access to that, it's going to be easier for them to come up with zero-day exploits and push things out that maybe can't be detected because nobody knew to look for it. Um but yeah, the attackers removed information for 2.9 million customers from company computers, including customer names, encrypted credit or debit card numbers. And see, that's the important thing because now that they have that stuff offline, they can use the password cracking tools that we've talked about on this show before. And, you know, they don't have to run, you know, oh, you tried three times, you're locked out. Now they're running on the hashes and they can just fire up some uh, GPU computer 
their password cracking kits and let them go. And now they're getting credit and debit card numbers along with expiration dates and the addresses that they're attached to. So not only are they getting source code has a way to attack, um, computers, you know, for botnets and monetary gain, but now they're getting stuff for, you know, because they're customer, because they're companies, it might not be identity theft, but they're get, they'll be able to do fraudulent transactions to, uh, you know, buy stuff. And that's just more information out there on the black market. So, but, uh, not to worry, IE still sucks too. <laughs> yeah. There's, um, this is a new, and there's a fix that has been out for a while, but it is a fix that it hasn't been released as like a Windows update thing. Um, and it affects every version of every supported version of IE is apparently, um, subject to this flaw. And they issued a temporary fix for the browser two weeks ago. And it's supposed to be out on the next batch of security updates, which will be this coming Tuesday is patch Tuesday. But now there is an attack in the wild and the, um, the code has been added to the latest Metasploit. So um, there you go. It, there's another hole in IE. Uh, surprising, that's news. Nightstar, I can, this is too good a comment to pass up. Nightstar in the chat room says about our previous story, maybe the hackers will fix the, the bugs in the Adobe code and send it back to them. <laughs> That'd be nice, wouldn't it? There you hey guys, go. we found that you're total morons. These three lines of code fixed all of your problems. Enjoy. Yes, white hats are the yeah. ones who did it, and their next target will be Oracle. Oh, and while we're that on the subject good. of IE, IE six is still on the radar. People, people, if you are accessing the internet with IE six, turn off your computer. And walk away, you do not deserve to be using a computer. I understand certain intranets may still require it, but if you ever go past your corporate firewall with IE6, you should have your computing license revoked. But you see, well, one, nice, it dropped it? below yeah, it dropped below five percent in September. So that's the first it's never been down that low before. So yay, it is still going down, but if it is on your system and there is an exploit for it, then it doesn't matter if you never click it. Your exploit can take it and track it and send it out to the Internet. So, and, you know, unfortunately, there's a lot of stuff out there that still requires IE6 to function correctly. And, you know, because that company went out of business 10 years ago or whatever, for whatever reason, it's still there. And if you have to have it on your computer, then unfortunately... There's only so much you can do to mitigate that. Yeah, and looking at this chart here on uh, Ars Technica, Internet Explorer, in all its variations combined, adds up to 50.43% of of observed Internet traffic. Uh, So all of them combined, all of the others... You know, Reconk and and uh, Chrome and Firefox and Conqueror and and the Android browser and Safari and um and Sleep Near and all these guys all together add up to less than Internet Explorer. Talk about success on the platform. I mean, Microsoft really hit it out of the park with that one. 
by by putting it in their system, by making it the default browser, and as Steve uh, Gibson uses the phrase, the tyranny of the default. Most people never change the defaults. And so yeah. back in 1996, when Microsoft was saying, it's just a browser, it's no big deal, they knew what they were doing. Yeah. Well, yeah, whenever they well, saw the writing money, on the wall. Yeah, people pay money for Netscape's product, but nobody will buy ours. Let's give it away for free and ingrain it in the OS. Victory! So, work. but yeah, you, you could look at the other side. Um, it's been what, 10, how long ago did Firefox come out? About 10 years? Um, something like that? It, well, I think longer than that. It's been around a while. Yeah. It's been a long, long time. But, Especially if you go back before it was Firefox and it was Firebird. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but Phoenix before that even. Yep. He, you know, at, at that point, Internet Explorer was darn near 100%. So, you know, slowly, the inexorable tide is chipping away and sinking it. Uh, just got you, you got to take the long game, Mark. We're not there yet, but we're just <laughs> chinking it down a little bit every time. <laughs> Let's see. Anonymous strangers on the Internet in the form of Wikipedia say that uh, the Mozilla project... Uh, was uh, first released Firefox 1.0 in November 2004. Now that's Firefox. That was after it had already been changed. So, yep. um, well, and when it was Firefox is about the time that it was good enough to kind of challenge Internet Explorer and yeah. reignite the browser wars. You know, so yeah, it was around before then, but it wasn't that usable. You know, you you were just as good with Net Netscape Navigator um, as you were with Phoenix right. or whatever. I remember so, downloading you know, Phoenix. It was just it was just a zip, no installer. You just yep. unzip it and and click the uh, exe, and it was literally a browser window and an address bar, and that's it. Yep. There were I don't think there were even bookmarks in it at the time I used it. It was it was the ultimate in minimal. Uh, browsing, uh, and then Chrome a few years later came along and said, "Look, we're the minimal browser." It's funny how the the tide turns sometimes. Right. No All right, moving right along, a, a group of white hat hackers uh, tried to uh, take down uh, a, a zero a botnet called Zero Access and failed. Yes, um, Zero Access. You know. The way botnets have traditionally worked is there's some command and control server, some web server up somewhere that they radio in to report home and they receive their instructions. Um, you know, and a lot of times they're there to uh, click links and take over people's search bars and siphon money off of the advertiser, off of Google or whatever. Um, and instead it goes to, you know, Google or G, you know, some other browser hijack thing. So your search isn't searching by Google, but something else. And so the one of the neat things about zero access and just neat from a technical point of view is it used peer to peer architecture, um, has a way to update itself. So it kind of, there's no real command and control server to take out. You know, they just have to update one of the botnet computers and then it tells two friends and it tells two friends and so on and so forth. And it eventually goes through the network. Well, uh, some researchers at Semantic and sinkhole is kind of the process. It's a technical term that talks about whenever they take control of the command and control servers and 
basically send out um, kind of a self-destruct code to the botnet. I'm trying to simplify a little bit. But because of the peer-to-peer network of this, they weren't able to destroy the botnet. Once they started, the uh, the botnet maintainers realized what was going on, and they fixed the flaw that was that they were using to control it. And, um, they switched over to another flaw. And so they weren't, the, the white hats weren't able to take it down, but they were able to wipe out about half of it. But it is still alive and it is still kicking. Um, and, uh, there you go. So it was, I really hope you'll read the story just because it was, it's kind of neat to see the, you know, stroke counter stroke between the, the white hats and the black hats out there. Uh, Something that the article points out that that is interesting is uh, uh, the cost to the user, not just an annoyance and frustration, but uh, uh, this app had a Bitcoin mining uh, component to it that's been disabled, but uh, that runs your processors at full speed all the time. And it said that on average, uh, it could cost a user 29 cents per day just in electricity to have this thing on. So twenty nine cents isn't wow. a day. Is a day isn't a whole lot, but that's ten bucks a month that you're paying yeah. an extra electricity just because your machine got infected. And you figure two hundred million machines they they estimated were infected with this thing. I'm sorry, two million machines were infected with this. So they're costing uh, forty million. Uh, no wait, two hundred million dollars a month. That's where my uh, twenty million. Gosh, math is hard. <laughs> twenty million dollars <laughs> a month. They said there was month. no math. In electrical activity, uh, electrical expense, just because they were able to infect this thing. Now, if these people were trying to do that Bitcoin mining themselves, they would be paying that $2 million a month, or $20 million a month. But instead, they farmed that out to, to unsuspecting people. Uh, it just goes to show you that there is a, a, a real economic component to the the estimates and you're just totally making the stuff up at this point but the estimate is that they're generating about seven hundred thousand dollars per year in in fraudulent advertising clicks where somebody yeah. didn't actually click three quarters of a million dollars a year just to write some code and put it out on the internet you know that's nice work if you can get it if you can live with yourself and look at yourself in the morning um it's a pretty good gig <laughs> Yeah, no kidding. I wish I made that much money not doing anything but typing on a keyboard. Well, yeah, and just saying, they probably, you know, it's probably 15 or 20 minutes a day to just update it and make sure that the um, the attack vectors you have are still open. And then, you know, you line up some unknown attack vectors to use if those get taken out. Um, You know, and then there's also the, because your processors are running and your hard drives are spinning more, you know, there, those are some mechanical components that are going to wear out faster. And in the common sense, duh category, um, the tech Republic would like you to know that Linux is more secure than other operating systems, but it's not invulnerable. Yeah, this is, uh, you know, th- that's the kind of groundbreaking news that, um, uh, I really read uh, Jack Wallen. We've used his articles before has kind of like the basis for some of our discussion. And really, this is just a common sense thing. I wanted to talk about just because, you know, we've talked about it before. You know, Linux is a more secure OS, but we've also talked about it doesn't matter how secure the underlying um, OS is. If you install out of date software or you don't update all your packages and stuff on here. And so he was called in to look at something um 
and it was just amazing how out of date this uh internet facing machine was and I didn't really want to go in and read the article. I just really wanted to talk about, I kind of hope you'll glance over it and see, but he discovered out of date um, packages, PHP exploits that were the reason that they were there is because the version of PHP that was on this system had been out of date and unsupported for a while and they never upgraded it. Um, and he said they were like, you know, and then, um, FTP things and even P- users had root level access and it was so messed up that they were able to kind of hide the entry point because it got so messed up and so fouled up and the only thing he was able to do was because it was a VM go back to before you know restore it to a point in time before it was hacked uh, and then look at updating it some more um, but so, you know, I just wanted to remind people that just, and again, this is true of whatever, you know, Android, Apple, um, iOS, Linux, uh, BSD or whatever, you have to update your software. You say, oh, well, I, I run, you know, I run whatever Apple, I don't get viruses. Well, you know, the five-year-old version of Flash, uh, you know, and the Safari you've never bothered to update are just full of holes waiting to be exploited. So remember people, update your software. And if you don't use the software, remove it off your machine. Because this is why I tell people, especially iTunes. iTunes is real good at whenever you go to update it, it also wants to install Safari. And if you if you want to use Safari and that browser works for you, great, use it. But if you don't want to use it, take it off. Because if it's on your system and there is something written for that, then you can be opening up and you can be introducing insecurity into an otherwise secure machine. Um, and that, that's just one example. You know, there, there's others out there. Um, I love to pick on Apple, but that wasn't just to pick on Apple. That was just an example. Yeah, good advice and, and stuff that you've certainly heard here before. Um, yeah. And this week in history, Richard Stallman did something that I actually think was a darn good thing. I know people think I'm antagonistic towards Stallman, but he's done some great things. And one of the great things he did was this week in history. Yes, the Free Software Foundation was founded by Richard Stallman October the 4th, 1985. So two days ago has the taping of the show and what five days ago is whenever it gets released. But so the Free Software Foundation has been around since 1985. Uh, was that 28 years ago? This week in history, hmm. and they've done a lot of good things in those in those intervening years. Absolutely, yeah, yes. no kidding. I, I I'm going to step back on that last topic that we were just talking about for a second. Um, no, just I'm sorry, a, I've moved on. You no, no, no. It's this is a good rules. one. Listen, no, listen. <laughs> you don't seem to understand um, how this show works. I run the show. You're the lackey. That's how oh. it goes. I don't think Dude, if you want to run this show, you better come up with a nickname. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So, back on my thought here. Just out of curiosity, I installed a VM in port forward at port 22 to this VM and left it on for three weeks. Now, just out of, uh, uh, just guess off the top of your head. How many attempted attacks do you think were run on that SSH port? 
This was a Linux machine? Yes, it was a Linux machine, fully updated, so no, nobody got in. Um, I didn't have fail to ban or, or deny host on, but I had super... I did uh, LastPass's generation thing okay. for both the usernames and the passwords at full oh. values. I, I couldn't make the passwords or the usernames any bigger or longer. So, uh, but, so I, I'm, I'm going to say... I'm going to say you averaged 100 a day. I was going to say Seth, 798 for the total. 798 for the total. For a total? Okay. Yeah. You would both be horribly wrong. Horribly wrong. In one day, my root account was a, was a, a password you know, shot at it over 10,000 times. Wow. Someone tried to log in as root. This the what was it? Um, yeah, what was it? User was another one that had you know in the five thousand a day hits, and then in uh, what is that? Nigos is that the the scanning software that runs on Linux for scanning your networks? Yeah, is that Nigos yes. or something like that? That sounds right. N- Nagios. N- Nagios. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That username was attacked more than you know any of the basic usernames, but less than root. So in one day, my server logged in that many attempts at an SSH to SSH in. So you're saying twenty thousand ish a day? It's right around there, yeah. Wow. I, I was again, I was shocked. Yeah, and this is I just to remind people that, that there's not somebody sitting around typing out root and one two three four five. There's computers that are and there's botnets that are scanning the internet for this. Mm-hmm. So you know, if you put an unpatched yep. machine internet facing uh, years ago, it was less than a minute to get infected. It's probably even shorter now, but. Uh, there are machines and armies of machines out there just scouring for users. They're not even like, they're not even attacking you. They're just seeing, hey, is there another guinea pig out there I can, you know, another host I can infect and make my zombie? Um, so, yeah. Update and secure. And by the way, we've said this before every time we've talked about firewalls, do not have port 22 open to the internet. Nope. Go do that something else. 22, 22, 22, 22. Something. Do not have 22 open to the internet. And if you're if you're if you can't figure out how to port or to change the SSH port in your box or whatever port you're opening, redirect it. Right. You, you can know, have 22 on the, on the box, but that's yep. what I do. It's 22 on the box, but the firewall blocks 22 and opens like 19822. Is I don't even know what it is off the top of my head, but it's something like that. Um, yeah. And that's how, and have it that's redirect. how I do it. Right. Yep. A, a port redirection. That's the safest way to do it because then it's default. Every, all the softwares will be happy and your security will be happy because you're not getting nailed 20,000 times in a day. Uh, okay. And the time has come to talk about LinuxAcademy.com. If you want to know how to do all the stuff that we talked about, how to set up 
uh, firewalls that that port forward and how to set up your own SSH. Maybe you don't know how to do any of that stuff. Let me tell you, linuxacademy.com is the place to go to learn that. Step-by-step video courses that will help take you from being a beginner, a guy who know know nothing, to a certified professional throughout the course of their more than 200 training videos. That's not just a collection of videos, though. They're broken down in a lot of uh, organizational ways. You have courses, which is a collection of videos. Uh, You have... I just blanked on the word, and I don't have it written on my thing. What do do they call that? There was modules. Is that it? Modules. Modules, Modules, which is a collection of courses that will take you where where you want to go. And you can track all these things through their lesson browser that says you've taken this one, and you've taken this one, and you've taken this one. But how do you know if you mastered that? easy they have quizzes that are also tracked by the module uh, by the lesson browser you took this one and you took this test after you took this one and this is what you scored on it so you're probably pretty good there you took this one and you made this score after you did it so you might want to come back and do that one so you can go through there and plan your own learning or you can do their courses so you can uh do you know the instructor-led study classes or you can do the modules or you can do uh all sorts of stuff the 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 uh the trainers uh, pretty much live in the forums answering uh questions so you got even though the the training is video uh, recorded videos there are live people available um within very short order uh, to answer your questions if you need them. And, of course, the community is there. There's a, there's a huge uh, user-to-user uh, community de- developing there. Uh, and you can get all this stuff for how much? How about for a trial, if you just want to kick the tires and see what you think? A buck. Give Anthony over there at linuxacademy.com a buck. He'll give you 14 days of full carte blanche access. Go in there, enjoy the all-you-can-eat buffet of learning. Uh, check out everything. Check out the the uh, quizzes. Check out the the modules. Check out the 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 videos. Check out the downloadable PDFs that come with the videos. Check out the um, indexed uh, um, note cards that go with each video so that you know what happened during what time. Check all that stuff out for a buck. At the end of the two weeks, if you want to keep going, and I know you will, it's only $19 a month. But being a wheeler-dealer kind of guy, if you buy two months, you're going to get a third one free. That's right, a quarter for only $38. Um, And people are not – this is not – something that we like to talk about this isn't theory people are actually right now at this moment well okay maybe not at this very moment but in the general scheme of things they are taking tests after having uh taken uh the courses at linux academy and are passing it and are becoming certified professionals in their field because of the information they got from linuxacademy.com 38 bucks a quarter 19 dollars a month a dollar for two weeks to try it out and when you go, when you sign up, and I know you're going to, use the code EverydayLinux and let them know we sent you. Definitely. And it's just so everyone knows, this is it started out as servers only, and now it's breaking off into all the everywhere, you know, desktop Linux as well. So it is command line approved. I do agree with anything that he's put up there. Um, everything that I've seen so far has been spot on. So it, it is it's good information without having to dig through forums. So go take a look. Yeah, and the great thing about it, you don't already have to be a ninja master of the command line before you get started. If you know how to go to youtube.com and click on a video and watch a video, you have the technical savvy required to begin. 
And then by the time you're done, you'll be a command line ninja. Maybe not a godfather, but at least a ninja. So get in there. Like I say, if, if you, if somebody knows how to pull up YouTube, they know how to get started and they're, it's broken down step by step, simple things build on simple things. You know, a complex machine is nothing more than a combination or series of simple machines put together. So these are simple lessons that whenever you're done, you've met, you are well versed in complex topics. You can be, you can go from being a Padawan learner to a, a, a Jedi master in 200 courses. You're not going to be Yoda, but you could probably kick Dooku's butt. So there you go. <laughs> there you go. Well, I mean, in the second movie, I could have kicked Dooku's butt. I don't know what happened to him. <laughs> I don't know what happened to the guy who uh, gave Yoda a run for his money to somebody who dropped his lightsabers and his hands fell off. Uh, it was just one of the many ways you had to check out in order to get full enjoyment from the series. Okay. Seth, tell us about your in-depth and detailed exploration of Salient OS. Well, as I mentioned earlier in the show, my, uh, my run for chicken fried bacon, while worth it, did cut into some of my time, but... I did get it fully installed, and I have to tell you, the installation was easy. You know, when I do things like this, I always, I, I try to drop the technical knowledge and just go, okay, I'm an everyday user. How do I do this? Well, I used, um, Unet Booten to make, to transform my iOS in, or my ISO image into a, uh, USB image. And then I wiped out my thing and I made a single partition. This is an Ubuntu based distro. Um, but again, I did the Razer QT. I chose the install option. It detected my wireless network off the fly. And so it, I looked, told it to download the updates, which was probably a mistake uh, at my house because it ended up taking a while. And there was an option to check like for MP3 codecs. I did that. And then it took like, you know, even downloading the updates, it took no more than an hour. And again, most of that was waiting for it to download packages and up and uh, updated packages. But uh, when I rebooted, it came up to my desktop. Um, there was one issue that you should be that you should know. I couldn't launch um, my package manager because it said I wasn't an administrator and there was no way to do it. But I was like, okay, well, let me go to the forums. And so I went there and it's a known issue. There's a simple, you know, sudo app get uninstall and then you reinstall the package manager. And then um, I did that. I went, now this is one thing that it's, this is one drawback is that when I'm searching through the libraries of stuff, like, you know, there isn't just, there isn't LibreOffice. There's like hundreds and hundreds of LibreOffice modules. I had to search and find through to get the main one. But, you know, the hard part was finding it. And that's not so much a salient OS thing as it is just a lineage synaptic package manager thing. But, and again, it, it took so long to install. I didn't want to play around too much, but I just been, I've been playing around with it some. It comes with Chromium has the default OS. So if you're used to Chrome on Windows, it looks pretty much the exact same as that. Um, I was able to surf, you know, like I say, I did do the checkbox for the extras like Flash and stuff like that. I was able to surf without issues. It looks really nice. Um, 
everything works. Uh, so far, the only thing I have yet to find out is how to get my trackpad to work. The, the pointer works, and if I plug in a mouse, it works, but my trackpad uh, on my laptop is not working yet. That is going to be my next project as I uh, figure out what to do to get that. But so far, I'm liking it. It runs, it boots up so fast. Oh my gosh. It's, you know, Vista on this drive, on this machine booted up fast because it's got an SSD. But I mean, man, I hardly get my finger off the button before it's asking me to log in. I really like it. It's nice. Um, it looks good. There'll be more of me actually using it for my next, for our next podcast. But I just wanted to say the install was a breeze. Uh, the hardest part of the install was actually, um, downloading the, um, unit booting to convert the is uh, the iso to that uh you know because this machine doesn't have a uh, dvd drive and i give i let my parents use my uh, external one but so that was the hardest part of installing and that's just a matter of launching executable and telling it where the iso is so all in all very easy to install very easy to use um their forums, there's English section forums. If you have questions, you can post them there. Um, I didn't have really any, the one question I had had already been asked in the forums. Um, but it's there and there'll be more on my actually, as I actually use it this week, I'll be able to give you more feedback on what that was. But hmm. again, the one drawback is searching through the package management to find available packages because, you know, there's not, it's not LibreOffice.exe. It's all these different modules of LibreOffice are broken out. So you have to find the main one that when you click on it, it tells you all the rest will be installed. And it's the same way with other things. Like I picked a couple of games just to install those as well. Um, but again, that seems to be more a synaptic package management thing, um, rather than something specific to this OS. And one drawback is, I have to kind of do some research on the packages because some of them are for different desktops and there didn't seem to be an easy way to filter only stuff for the QT Razor desktop. Um, but again, that's just a minor drawback and just a little bit of research before you try to, and in, in, before you try to install something, uh, for most people, you know, you get online, you're doing stuff online. Um, you, you might not ever need to install something because most everything seems to just work out of the box. And that's that's my first report, and there'll be more on me using Salient OS in our next episode. Like I say, I'm going to keep it for about a month and use it and play with it so I can give a better, you know, more in-depth review piece by piece as I go through it. Hmm. Cool. So that's, and that's uh, you know, a quick first look, uh, look at it. Yeah, I'll... I, like I say, I I like it. It's got the eye candy thing that looks good. Um, uh, so there you go. If 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 the guys want to send some feedback to um, edl at elementop.com, isn't that our email address? Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah. I always uh, yeah edl at elementop.com with some particular thing you want me to try or questions you have about the OS, just uh, let let me know and I will look at it and see what we can come up with. All right. Uh, and yeah. those of you who were thinking it's going to be a two and a half hour show, I knew he wasn't going to have much, so that's why we did all that news. Um, I, I'm, I'm interested in it because Seth is, is taking a measured approach and I'm looking forward to see what happens week after week. 
Yeah. Uh, but for now, Chris, what's our command line tip this week? Well, this week I figured, you know, I'm a big Vim guy, and I know everyone hates Vim, at least everybody on the show. All the so, same people. Uh, <laughs> so I figured I'd bring another one that works just like Vim. It stays in, it keeps you in the command line and lets you edit your documents in a more sanely manner. It's called Nano. Um, it, it works just like Vim. It, the commands are a little more easier to use. Uh, it defaults into editor mode, so you don't have to worry about jumping in and out of, of insert. So try Nano if you need to edit something in the command line. It's not as cool as Vim. But it'll get the job done. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Sorry. <laughs> and Seth, as long as you're talking, what do you got? By the way, you've done most of the talking this show. You really carried the water this show. So what? one last time, what is your link? Okay. Well, if you're ever worried about stubbing your toe in the dark, you can buy lighted slippers um, light sensors in the LED only come on in darking conditions. They are weight sensitive. So when you put them on, the lights come on. Um, for $129 US, I was thinking I could make these cheap with a couple of $5 LED flashlights from Walmart. But you can go to bimbambanana.com and search for lighted slippers or the link will be in the show notes. Um, I just thought this was an absurd product that I couldn't believe uh, somebody would pay $130 for. But Bim Bam Banana lighted slippers. Now you can easily move hands-free around a darkened house, reducing the risk of tripping over objects or running into doors, furniture, or anything not easily seen in the dark. That's their enticement for you to buy. See, in my house, I have this thing that we call a light switch. Uh, and it only costs about three bucks. And uh, at that price, I could afford to put them in every room of the house. Um, and so, no kidding, you know, no kidding. takes your hands. That's true. That takes That's true. to operate. These are hands-free. You just have yeah. to slip your feet in them. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, take that, light switch. <laughs> I love that they call a weight <laughs> sensor. It has a weight sensor alert the LED in each slipper to activate. In other words, there's a button that you press when you step on it. But it sounds better if you call it a weight sensor that alerts the LED. Yeah, yes. that, that's marketing mumbo there. <laughs> alerts. Well, if you're going to pay $129 for a pair of slippers with a light in them, uh, you, you need some better um, marketing. Yeah, you don't that. need a switch. You need a weight sensor. Right. So I don't want a switch for $129. I want a sensor, dadgummit. And by um, the way, bimbambananabutt.com may be the best domain name ever. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, I, I just, you know, the name. I had to come up with something when I found Bim Bam Banana. Uh, the online <laughs> shop, and this is from their about page. The online shop, Bim Bam Banana, has the gifts you didn't know existed for the man that has everything. In this genre, both spyglasses and mini closed circuit TVs belong. Uh, so there you go. Uh, dude, I wonder if they have yeah. x-ray glasses. Remember those x-ray glasses that, oh yeah, um, theoretically you could see through women's clothing? It was amazing. Yeah. Actually, all they oh ever my. did was turn stuff red. Uh, so, if you want to be on the show, either really for real or just uh, in the form of an email or a voicemail, you can contact us at 
elementop.com. Use the Contact Us button at the top of the page. That'll send uh, a nicely formatted message uh, to us, and we can see what you have to say. You can email us directly, as Seth said, at edl at elementop.com. By the way, we don't talk about this very often, and somebody recently um, sent an email to a, a another podcaster who he knew knew me and said, hey, what's Mark's email address? My email address is mark at elementop.com. Chris has chris at elementop.com. I'm pretty sure I set up Seth at elementop.com. Uh, if not, we could do that in like nine seconds after the show. Yeah, dude, I've never checked it if you set it up. <laughs> <laughs> I think it just forwards to your Gmail, so you would never know the difference. So, you know, the, oh, okay. the, that's the way if you want to, if, if it's a secret, and you don't want Chris to know, and you just want to send it to me, that's Mark at elementop.com. If you if you want to, I'll uh, feel sad. Yes, if you want to exclude uh, somebody, that's the way you can do it. But if you send it to edl at elementop.com, that goes to all of us, and we like to be all inclusive whenever possible. Also, dial five five nine IMOP from any phone anywhere in the continent of North America, and you can leave us a voicemail that we will play on the air. Also, uh, I had uh, somebody. Bird dog somebody else for me recently. Say, hey, this guy might want to be on the show. You might want to have them on the show. We love that. We love having uh, intelligent and articulate people for a change on the show. Uh, so we like to have, right. uh, if you have suggestions, uh, feel free to let us know. And, and you know, if you, if you want to be on the show, just raise your hand in digital form and say, hey, I want to be on the show, guys. And uh, the odds are our standards are pretty low. You'll probably get on. You could have a stutter and speak only um, uh, German, and we'd probably say, "Sure, come on, we'll figure it out." Um, Although I've I've got to say I've tried to get the Salient OS guy on. Um, it might not happen just because he's in Italy and they're like almost exactly halfway around the world, and so our schedules don't interact that well. And plus, he uh, he speaks Italian and German, so he trumps my one attempt at english but um it it would be like his third language um and so there might be uh it might be just like some scripted questions uh and give him a chance to kind of prepare his answers but we're trying to get him on um hopefully we will just wanted to throw that out to the people's peeps as a as a citizen of the united states of america i am offended that the whole world doesn't speak merkin um you guys need to get on that, really. Um, and with that, that should get some feedback going. Uh, I will say thanks for listening to the show. Uh, Chris, Seth, as always, thanks for being the great co-host that you are. And I'm going to say that ends this episode of Everyday Lex.